Welcome to Wordsmitty, a podcast for new words. Today, we are tackling a word which I think should have existed a long time ago. It should already have been used 20 or at least 10 years ago. And I think we've been using words to describe this thing, but we actually need a fresh new word to pack with connotation and association and meaning. Um, A lot of times in language, when we have a new experience, a new technology, what have you, we recycle old words or old concepts or old idioms and phrases for that experience rather than introduce a new word to complicate things. Famously, like you roll up a window in a car, even though you're no longer doing the rolling up action. Another good one is on smartphones and tablets, there'll be a a section of the screen that you're supposed to press in order to accomplish something. And I still call those buttons, but there's no click sensation when you click it. There are, I think, 170,000 words in usage now, which is a lot, but it's frustrating to think that a lot of words have multiple senses. Like in dictionary entries, this is when they have a little number one or a letter next to them, and that denotes, hey, it could also be used this way to mean this thing. So I think the word run has like 600 different senses to it. So I mean, it can't have 600 letters next to it. So it would have to be 600 little numbers saying, oh, to run is to move quickly through a space. But to run out of something is to have that thing depleted. And then also, I mean, classic is your refrigerator running. I I really love the nuance of language, but I also hate it. The love-hate relationship. It's so muddy. Like if English was a body of water, you would not be able to see the bottom at all. You couldn't see, you know, your hand. As soon as you submerge it into the water, it's gone. And I think it should be more crystalline, more uh, uh, pellucid, pellucid. There you go. Pellucid. Word of the day. Mean the translucent or easily understood. There you go. Okay, if you're keeping track, I just killed one metaphor, beat it to death, so good time to get started. Let's do this thing. So, when a person creates an account on a social media platform or any online platform, one of the first things they're prompted to do is upload a profile, picture, a bio, what have you, make their account, make their profile. And most times, the picture they use correlates with the platform's purpose and the image or semblance of themselves they wish to convey to people. For example, a site like LinkedIn, which is used for business networking, your profile picture is likely going to be of you in business clothes, clean shave, makeup, I don't know, looking professional. But let's say you're making your profile for a a site for dating, like Tinder. Um, You're less likely to be dressed in a business suit and more likely to be in a bathing suit. And that's fine. That matches what you're trying to convey, what you want people to think about you, I guess. These uh, profile pics, these accounts, 
I think what's really cool, not cool, really sad, interesting, is they are only capturing, weird word, they're only uh, reflecting, better word, one aspect or element of yourself. And I think one of the coolest ways to show this comes from an unlikely source, the American treasure that is Dolly Parton. So in January of 2020, before the world ended, uh, good old Dolly posted a picture on her Instagram account. And it was a mosaic taken from four online platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Tinder. The LinkedIn picture was her in like a classroom looking like a teacher. She has a pencil in her hair. She's, you know, dressed in a suit. But the bottom right, the Tinder picture, came from a 1978 Playboy shoot. That's self-explanatory. But it's really interesting because you can see the the range or the split or the, uh, ooh, I know, the shatterings or the, the fractures, if we're calling this reflections, the, the fragments of this person. Like the Instagram is kind of an artsy black and white picture of her younger. She's holding a guitar, so it's like artsy. And I, I guess Facebook is another thing. But you can see these all over. Like it became a trend where a lot of celebrities would post this. And, you know, the Instagram pic would be people looking off with the sun reflecting in their face or not looking at the camera. But the Facebook one is like the family. Yeah, and the Tinder one would just thirst pick essentially. So I think we need a word for these reflections. The show Black Mirror comes to mind. I don't know if you know this, but a black mirror refers to a tablet or a phone screen, which isn't illuminated. So it becomes naturally reflective like the glass of it does. And that so perfectly captures what that show is about. You know, it is a, this is from the show's website. Um, it depicts a high-tech near future where humanity's greatest innovations and darkest instincts collide. Yeah, Black Mirror. Um, the tenebrous screen, there's another word for you, tenebrous, darkened, dimly lit, I guess, obscured. So anyway, I would love it if we could make a word for this because I think it is a reflection, and we are like that myth of Narcissus staring into our own reflection in a pond, making sure the hair is in the right place and uh, there's no zits on our nose, and we look good for those around us. And man, I'm worried this has the effect of making us like birds flying into glass windows, breaking our necks on the screens of our phones. Ah, this is a great Black Mirror episode. I got to write this down, pitch it to him. Anyway, that's probably another metaphor dead, but who's, who's keeping track? Um, anyway, in an attempt to spread the awareness between self and screen, we submit to you a new word for these reflections, and that word is Pygmalius. Yeah, it's, it's a fun one. You probably won't use it that much because it's weird to say. Um, Pygmalius. I'll spell that at the end. Actually, I'll spell it now. P-Y-G-M-A-L-I-A-S. Pygmalius. It's another portmanteau. Let's get into the two words that make up this word. But first, 
A word from this week's sponsor. Uh, I'm just kidding. We, we don't have a sponsor here. And you know what? That's a good thing. You know, it's a, it's a commodity and it's also a luxury. You can listen to this knowing I've not been paid off to persuade you to purchase something. And that's, you know, that's a beautiful thing these days. So the first part of our word is a legendary figure by the name of Pygmalion. You might have heard of Pygmalion. You might have been forced to read a play called Pygmalion. So let's talk about who Pygmalion is. There was once a king of the land of Cyprus, and his name was Pygmalion. So the Cypriot king had no queen, and in fact, he had a very complicated relationship with women in general. As a result of witnessing the prostitutes of Cyprus, Pygmalion committed himself to celibacy. He swore off all relationships with women. And while the faults Pygmalion found with women are never clearly said, I've seen some people theorize that it comes from women's ability to speak and therefore deceive and women's ability to copulate and therefore tempt, which is so incredibly sexist and very problematic. Um, I think it's a bit fringe, that theory, but I, I mean, I would buy it. I, I mean, I would, I wouldn't buy it, but I would believe it. Um, oh God, I, I guess virginity was virtuous for women back in the day. I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to move on. Yeah. Along with being a king, Pygmalion was a rather skilled sculptor and it was his passion and his celibate time. He devoted himself entirely to his craft. According to Ovid's Metamorphosis, which is where the story comes from, the king eventually created a sculpture of his ideal woman, made without the gender's inherent faults. He carved it out of snow-white ivory and called it Galatea. Galatea? Galatea? Galatea. Galatea. She was so beautiful that Pygmalion fell in love with his creation and called her a perfect virgin with the grace of life, but in the expression of such modesty, all motion was restrained. So yeah, I guess this gives credence to that previous theory. Pygmalion laid his hands upon his art and became enraptured with it. He spoke to it softly, bought it expensive things, dressed it in elegant clothing, laid it on a luxurious bed, and kissed its cold ivory lips. But it was not able to kiss him back. Ironically, Pygmalion's ideal woman, free of human defects, spurned him by her lack of sentience. But then the festival of Venus, goddess of love, came, and Pygmalion timidly asked the deity for a wife like my ivory statue made. Venus, as it turned out, was at the festival and understood the true meaning of Pygmalion's prayer. And when he returned from the festival, he went directly to the ivory. He bent over it, reclined on the couch, and kissed it many times. To his surprise, the lips of the statue were warm, and he felt the statue's breasts, and they began to soften beneath his hands. This feels like fan fiction, but yeah, it's a myth. Venus had granted life 
to Pygmalion's creation, and Galatea came alive. And you're expecting some bad ending or life lesson for Pygmalion, um, like this is a moralistic tale, but surprisingly, there isn't a whole lot. Um, in modern retellings of this, things go bad, and it's pretty much a trope from a lot of TV shows. Like, I remember this, at least three cartoons that follow this idea, and then the the created girlfriend, boyfriend, what have you, ends up being a cold-hearted killer. But yeah, for Pygmalion and Galatea, things go swimmingly. I mean, Narcissus drowns in a bond because he was looking at himself. Okay. Moral of the story is don't be vain. Makes perfect sense. If there is a, a life lesson or a moral takeaway for Pygmalion, it's rather ambiguous. Um, whether it's created to be that or not, who knows. There is a retelling of the story by George Bernard Shaw, uh, the 1913 stage play Pygmalion, which kind of retells the story in an interesting way, but more in modern times. Um, there are two main characters, Professor Henry Higgins and Eliza Doolittle. Um, if those names sound familiar to musical theater people, yes, this play was adapted to the 1956 musical My Fair Lady. So the play and the musical have near-identical premises. Um, Henry Higgins is a phonetics professor, and he takes Eliza, a poor flower girl, with a very heavy, I think, Cockney accent, and transforms her into a regal lady. So Higgins is, in a way, the stand-in for Pygmalion. He takes Eliza, a person he... Uh, maybe loathes because he is such a learned man. Um, and he transforms her from someone inarticulate and inelegant to someone worth admiration and maybe even adoration. The two productions have nearly antithetical endings. In both stories, they seem to start to fall in love, but Pygmalion ends with the two not reconciling an argument, and it appears Eliza marries someone else. Um, in the musical, the two end up together. Happy ending. Why are we talking about musicals? What does this have to do with the word I'm choosing today? Well, let's get to that. I really like using the word Pygmalion for a couple of reasons. One is the careful construction. I feel like our Online identities are carefully constructed, sculpted, created. We make the perfect version of ourselves for everyone to see because we're shallow. Um, some of us, most of us maybe. But also I really like the theatric um, association because of Pygmalion, the play, and even My Fair Lady. Fun fact, the word persona and by extension the word person etymologists believe is derived from the Latin word for an actor's mask. So the, just the standard word person comes to us directly from the stage. I love this because every profile picture, bio, and handle is in itself a mask. It's theatrics. And we labor so hard to create these alter egos, much like Pygmalion carved an ideal woman. He labored at creating it. The word profile believe it or not, also kind of conveys this idea. It comes from 
a Latin prefix, which we use a ton in English, which is pro. And it basically just means for or forth when associated with a word. Um, and then philo is a line or a stroke of a brush or thread. And it comes from phylum, I believe, which it, it just means thread. And a lot of languages have put those two words together to create this idea of spinning a thread or drawing an outline of something. And that's why the profile of your face is like a side view. It's the outline of your face. It's crazy to me that these two words that are heavily associated with like self and identity come to us from very artificial things like masks that are made of wood or clay and just drawings of ourselves. Like we think identity is something intrinsic and inherent to us, but it's actually something created. The final reason for using the word Pygmalion today comes to us from psychology, the Pygmalion effect. Now this is an effect, you can see a video on our website that explains it much better than I can. But basically it's the phenomenon wherein expectation and belief impact performance, which reinforces expectation or belief. You can think about this quote. If you treat someone as they are, they'll remain how they are. But if you treat someone as they ought to be and could be, they will become what they ought to be and could be. Think about Pygmalion treating his statue as a wife, dressing it up and kissing it. Describing cyclical patterns is always a nuisance, but here we go. Self-belief influences actions toward others, and those actions toward others impact what others believe about us, which inspires how others act toward us, which reinforces the beliefs about self. So on and so forth, ad infinitum, and beyond. I think a bunch of people use the internet to hijack this process. And instead of it being our belief about ourselves, it is the image we convey to others. If your internet presence is a picture of you reading a book, people are gonna think you're smart and people are gonna treat you like you're smart, which is gonna make you feel smart, which is gonna make you wanna represent yourself to others as smart. And the cycle continues. Or if you post a bunch of pictures of you at the gym, people are gonna think you work out a lot and you're super healthy and they'll treat you as such. Them treating you like that is going to make you feel like you're healthier than others, which is going to make you want to display yourself as working out a ton and being health conscious, so on and so forth. Notably, this can work even if you are not a bookworm smart person or a gym rat. And that's the problem. The screen to screen separation creates an environment where social manipulation is really freaking easy. I can be a bookworm, I am a bookworm, and make you think I'm a gym rat. This is why we need a word for the exterior presence you present. Pygmalius, P-Y-G-M-A-L-I-A-S. You can probably guess the second part of this word is alias. It comes from Latin. We use it a lot as a noun, a person's alias, their pseudonym, their moniker, their fake name, their whatever. But its use in Latin was more as an adverb, which meant also known as. So for instance, my name's Cooper. My Instagram is gentlecoo. So I would say, oh, I'm Cooper, comma, alias gentlecoo. 
And a lot of people have used this word, alias, to refer to online personae. But we're trying not to repeat the word run and give a word like 600 different senses. So again, we need just a new word for this, Pygmalius. Combining them, Pygmalion, Sculptor, Manipulator, Social Engineering, and Alias as in a fake screen name, what have you. Voila, it's perfect. P-Y-G-M-A-L-I-A-S. Say it with me now. Great. Solid pronunciation. So, in conclusion, next time you see an influencer on Instagram and they have 50 million followers, remember that it's detrimental to compare yourself to someone else, especially when all you can see is their Pygmalius. And next time you're swiping left or right on Tinder, remember those pictures have been carefully selected to sculpt a Pygmalius for you. Those pictures create an expectation which affect how you treat that person. Or next time you yourself are creating a profile, try your best to make a reflection, but not one through a black mirror. Highlight the faults as well as the perfections. And finally, please remember, even though bios is a prefix that means life, your bio on a social media platform can never contain the fullness of your life. Thanks for listening. Oh, I forgot to mention, on our website, at the bottom of every new word we create, there's a survey. I'd love for you to review our word today. Tell me how you think I did. And if you think you could do better, I will include a section for you to create your own word for this concept. And you can put a justification for it if you want. You can just write it. You can type randomly and hit submit. Your cat can walk across the keyboard. That's fine. I'll take it. Either way, I'll be thrilled and I'd try to pronounce it on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Wordsmitty. Oh, and send your suggestions to suggestions at wordsmitty.com. I'll see you next time.